Yo, what's up, everybody? Today is July 9th, 2021, and it's another episode of your favorite Black Marxist political podcast, Real Sankara Hours. Um, yeah, today is July 9th, 2021. Um, Space yeah. Jam was supposed to come out today, but, you know, the imperialists uh, don't want the truth to come out, so no. we have to wait another week. But, you know, we let the truth out on this podcast, so, yeah. you know, you can always rely on us for that. Um, yeah, we got a pretty, uh, pretty interesting, pretty interesting episode. I mean, definitely with the recent assassination of the Haitian president, which we'll be talking about along with, uh, you know, climate change. And then this really shitty article on, um, <laughs> uh, uh, I'm not going to tea. I'll, the only teaser I'll give is, is, is like, what happens when a white person learns that, uh, their ancestors owned slaves? And what can they do to make amends? And there's a really shitty New York Times article about it. Um, so we're going to be talking about that uh, for this episode. Um, this is a free one, but to support independent black media such as this, um, you can become a patron at patreon.com slash real hours. $5 a month gets you bonus episodes anywhere between $1 to $4. Um you don't get bonus episodes, but it helps to uh, support our podcast. <clears throat> and if you want to make a one-time donation, you can donate to our PayPal, paypal.me slash hours. So again, patreon.com slash hours to be a patron. If you want to make a one-time donation, paypal.me slash hours. And those are all just different ways you can support our podcast. And uh, yeah keeps keeps this uh keeps this thing going and it's a way to support independent black media um what so, episode is this i keep we're coming up on 100 but i am not counting uh well the the number will definitely be up in the title <laughs> once this yeah. is released but we are very close to 100 um yeah we're very close to it we're in the late 90s technically the high 90s um Oh, the late 90s. Yeah. Yeah, I remember those days. Um, so anyway, yeah, we'll introduce ourselves again right into the episode. So I'm Adam Hudson. Follow me at Adam Hudson 5 on Twitter. Uh, and this is Peter M. Gunn. Uh, I don't care what you do on Twitter. You should probably not be on it. Yeah. If any, actually, instead of following us on Twitter, you should follow Real Sankara Hours. So follow our Twitter at Sankara Hours to stay up to date with our episodes and other stuff. But, yeah, uh, Twitter in general, um, it's its own hellhole. Speaking of hellhole and hellscape, um, there is another heat wave where I live in the Bay Area. It's over 100 degrees. But, um, yeah, the West Coast, especially the Pacific Northwest, the Pacific Northwest, like Washington State and then uh, British Columbia and Canada, has been experiencing record heat waves um very devastating and killed a couple dozen people i i, I need to get the exact numbers but it's it killed quite a few it qu killed a lot of people particularly in this town called Lytton, british columbia and there are some wildfires and i mean th this is this is all climate change is here like you know we better get 
fucking serious about this shit. Uh, I want to I want to mention one thing. So uh, Governor Gavin Newsom of California, uh, because California is an extreme is in uh, you know pretty extreme drought, and so the governor um, is calling for basically uh, to. He's asking Californians to voluntarily cut water use, but there's this group called um, Restore the Delta. It's a grassroots campaign basically to save the San San Francisco Bay Delta estuary for future generations. And um, I want to read like what uh, the executive director of Restore the Delta was said um, in response to Governor Newsom's decision. she so this is Barbara Berrigan Perea. Uh, she said Governor Newsom's response to the drought is too little, too late. Restore the Delta and our coalition partners began warning state agencies and the Newsom administration at the end of 2020 to plan for these drought conditions. Um, here's something else that she also said that I think is really important. Um, yeah, she called it too little, too late. She said her group and others warned the state at the end of 2020 to prepare for the drought. She said Newsom has been given bad advice by state officials. They let too much of the water out of the system for industrial agriculture users, she said. Our water resources and public public trust resources like salmon fisheries have been squandered for almonds and other unsustainable crops. And I I want to mention that because, like, if you want to understand, like, a major reason why California is in this drought, it's definitely because of climate change, but you really have to link it to capitalism as well. Both capitalism being a major reason for climate change, but also um, big agriculture, big big ag, and uh, you know these companies using a shit ton of water for almonds yeah. at the public's expense. And now it's at the point where, like, okay, because normally in California we get our uh, water from the Sierra Nevada, the, the snow melt, but that's drying up because obviously climate change. And that's having a ripple effect, not just for California, but Nevada, um, uh, the Colorado River Basin's drying up, so that's impacting the southwest. Um, so the, our, the normal places where we get water are drying up because of climate change. And so, like, big ag, they're just pumping a shit ton of fucking water out of out of the ground especially for almonds and as as uh, Berrigan Perilla said uh our water resources and public trust resources resources like salmon fisheries have been squandered for almonds and other unsustainable crops so you could definitely link this back to like and also like Nestle has been you know pumping out a shit ton of fucking water from california and there have been activist groups who've been pointing this out but you know um local state governments uh you know they're a lot more friendly to these big corporations and so i think like you know when we're looking at these you know drought and these these kinds of uh extreme weather conditions you can definitely all link it back to big corporations and capitalism um yeah, Na- Na- Nestle yeah. is like cartoonishly evil. Mm-hmm. It's hard to it's hard to explain, but yeah, they definitely like have publicly stated they don't believe in like a right to water and that it basically should be privatized. And yeah, I mean, now it's like Nestle water bottles are everywhere. Mm-hmm. Um and I, yeah, I mean, personally I have to say like trying to find affordable cat food that isn't Nestle is very hard. Like mm. for some reason they have the cat food. Uh, 
Yeah, they you know, I think because like they make crunch bars, whatever, people don't suspect them for being as evil as they are, but yeah, Nestle is really bad. And also, yes, the need to like have the salad bowl of America in the Central Valley, which is a desert. Um, you know, land use that was not really like, you know, Americans development was not thought out holistically in the sense of like where would it make the most sense to do X, Y, and Z. It yeah. was all just like who could get the who got there first and could get profits the first. So mm-hmm. you know, there yeah, I mean, if there were a way in which like this stuff could be planned rationally, then you wouldn't just have California just constantly running out of water every year. But uh, you know, that's the dynamism of the free market, I suppose. And and speaking of I was thinking about <clears throat> this <clears throat> I mean because the West Coast we're right next to the Pacific Ocean, so it's like there's a source of water right there. But you know, anybody who knows anything about like ocean water knows it's full of salt. So it's it's, it's salt water, not really fresh water. So, um, but I've been looking into desalination plants, and one of the issues with um, salt water is getting the salt out and converting it to fresh water, and you can do that through desalination plants and. The process is pretty straightforward. Like, you can even desalinate, you know, like, through a water bottle by basically boiling salt water, distilling the salt, and then turning it into fresh water. But you also don't want to boil it too much and get rid of the electrolytes. So then there's, like, another way to desalinate through, like, you know, a more sophisticated desalination plant process. And I, I was looking at I was watching this, this YouTube video, and it was explaining, like, desalination. Um... I know, like, countries like Saudi Arabia. I didn't know this, but Saudi Arabia has more desalination plants, which makes sense because Saudi Arabia, Israel, Ethiopia, like, that whole region, you know, is experiencing drought and things are going to get worse. So they've been experimenting with desalination technology for a while. And, um, I mean, obviously, like, Mohammed bin Salman, it's a ton of fucking issues with him, but he's been trying to, like, uh, I guess, probably... I think mean, that's been one of, like, maybe his own personal selling points, in addition to other shit, is, like, the desalination plants. So, um, but I was looking into it, and one of the issues with desalination is that when you, basically, if you take, like, two gallons of salt water, you get one gallon of fresh water, and the extra gallon remaining is salt. And so the issue is where you put the salt. Uh, normally, people would just dump the salt in the ocean, but that's terrible for ocean the the oceanic ecosystem so i think like in the case of california and not just california but the entire west coast like um in terms of just investment like you could probably invest a couple billion dollars because i think like saudi arabia has been spending like a billion dollars on so like if you invested that kind of money in desalination and figure out a way to like another place to put the salt because you could use salt for a bunch of other stuff so, like, we're at this point where <laughs> things we have to do are going to be really drastic. And I think, like, we have the technology to do this, certainly have the fucking money. But it's just like, it, it, it's just like, oh, but we're just going to let Big Ag just keep pumping out water. And then we're just going to run out and we're just going to have people ration water, which is fucking ridiculous. It's just, I mean, this, I've been thinking about this and it's just, it's just so fucking maddening. 
Well, I mean, all those Orange County people shouldn't have lawns anyway, so oh, right, that is yeah. true. But it is, yeah. I mean, I would imagine. I don't. All I know about desalinization is that it was the most expensive option in Sin in Sim City, and so it wasn't really worth it. Um, but uh, I mean, that it's one of those things where, yeah, that's the way anything gets done is you have to find a way to make it profitable. So. Right. If some, I don't know, if Morton's Salt Company or whatever wants to invest in desalinization, I mean, it's, yeah, like, at that point, more of the water supply will be privatized, so. Yeah. You know, this, the, yeah, like, this is part of the federal system where, uh, you know, there's supposed to be, like, some sort of semi-sovereignty in each state, that, and the states, like, are not like the borders of the states don't really make sense um, because they are all, you know, drawn on maps hundreds of 150 years ago for purposes of like settler colonial expansion. So, Uh I mean, yeah, the, all this stuff ties together, but you know, also, but I guess going to the other side of the country, Uh um, we did want to mention the uh, condo that, collapsed uh in south florida which uh i believe i i believe there were 200 people missing and now they're i think the death toll is up to about 35 uh but they had to stop they had to stop the search because uh they had to demolish the other side of the building because only half the building collapsed (laughs) and then of course uh now they're dealing with the hurricane so, you know, the search will begin after that. I mean, if anybody's still alive, trapped under, you know, all of that by now, I mean, they, you know, clearly are some sort of superhero. Um, but it is, you know, this is like the American Grenfell Tower, which uh, was a uh, housing project in England that caught fire, you know, like five years ago. And it, and it in the sense that, like, this is definitely something that didn't have to happen, but, um, you know, the, the developers and everyone was aware that, you know, there are desperate problems that needed to be fixed, but no one wanted to spend the money to do it right away. So, you know, I, and like, this is part of the problem with a lot, you know, construction booms is that, uh, buildings are built as cheaply as possible. And, you know, Uh Miami is like, literally sand like it is literally built on sand um so you know the building had been sinking for about 30 years i believe and uh uh you know this is it's just the kind of thing that um you know i guess more things are going to happen i mean this is the this is the real state of like american infrastructure it's not the glittering i guess city on a hill or whatever yeah, and and, and Ron, Governor Ron DeSantis, uh, he uh, seems more concerned about banning critical race theory than when it comes to prevent implementing regulations that would prevent a collapse like that. Or and also, uh, you know, in addition to California experiencing drought, I mean, Florida it, on the other side, like, is you know a bullseye target for more intense hurricanes. And, you know, DeSantis, he, you know, he's not really doing anything to care about that. He's, he's more obsessed with, you know, 
uh, the the evils of critical race theory in public school. So that's that's his priority. But before I forget, like I forgot to mention when it came to desalination plants, like um, they do use a lot of um, energy, and so like that's another issue. Is like you know we're gonna have to also <laughs> obviously switch to sustainable energy resources as well. Like all this stuff, like I I think there's no like one magic bullet solution like basically our entire infrastructure like has to be updated and and change and so you know there's this infrastructure bill that uh is is currently in congress and um it's being negotiated and i know there's a lot of um there are a lot of climate activists who are rightfully pushing for um i hate to call it like a green new deal but basically you know they they want um when it comes to this massive infrastructure bill to incorporate, uh, you know, adjusting our infrastructure for, for climate change, the realities of climate change. And I think like, you know, they're obviously correct. Like, yeah, like the, both California, Florida, the entire West coast and everybody is an example of like climate change happening right fucking now. And a, a harbinger of what's to come next and a sign that our current infrastructure is not prepared for it. So if there is going to be like billions or a trillion dollars spent on infrastructure, then yeah, that should be the fucking priority. Um, but, you know, I, I don't think uh, the strategy of trying to compromise with somebody like Mitch McConnell is going to get us that. Like, so, you know, and this is already 2021, uh, the midterms are coming up, so Biden better take this fucking seriously right now because in 2022 in the midterms, uh, I don't know if the Democrats are going to hold on to the House and the Senate. And I also don't know, like, in the next presidential election, uh, Trump has been saying he wants to run it again, and I doubt Biden will run for re-election. So if it's ah. Kamala Harris versus Trump, then... Like, you know, it's not. We're gonna. I. I don't want to think about that. I bet you know. It's. Yeah, it's just it's, like if if there's gonna be infrastructure bill that's gonna deal with this shit, we better deal with this shit like right fucking now and just pass that bill until Mitch McConnell to eat shit. Yeah, um, but yeah, you know. I mean, eventually they'll get around to it. Uh, I will say Biden did something halfway decent uh, in signing it today and signing an executive order you know trying to limit some of the predations of like tech companies and mm. you know further codifying net neutrality or whatever you know so I mean, i'll give i guess people credit when it's due i mean it's not like any serious antitrust legislation but mm-hmm. at least at least they're not just like doing entirely silicon valley's bidding right but uh to the probably the bigger um topic of discussion you know i think i'm realizing that every every time i'm like oh i don't know what to talk about um you know there's not much going on this week as soon as i say that like the next day something crazy happens Hmm. so on tuesday we're you know having our meeting about what to talk about and we had come up with some ideas and then the next day uh you know i open my phone and first first news item is uh the Haitian president was assassinated 
Um, and this is, I mean, this is definitely a very sort of, uh, you know, I don't want to say explosive, but it, it's a very uh, sudden and, you know, shocking event. Um, so, hold on. Basically, uh, I believe, yeah, I think July, yeah, July 7th is when the news broke. Uh, the president of Haiti, Jovenel Moise, uh, was assassinated in his own home. Um, mm-hmm. His wife is still in, uh, critically injured. She's getting medical care in Miami. And uh, the acting the acting prime minister uh, is Claude Joseph. And um, this is this is a very interesting, I guess, de- development because. Jovenel Moise was not a particularly popular figure. I mean, nope. he had he had he had the backing of the U.S., which really, at the end of the day, is all that matters, right? Um, but there is a there had been nationwide protests against him, in part because um, the elections after the uh, Haiti the UN occupation left, which put him in. I mean, they were very contested in as much like in and of themselves and you know people don't really believe that Moise had a popular mandate i think he only got like 500,000 votes um and they had you know they had they went through all sorts of recertifications and stuff but in the process of that there ended up being some sort of dispute as to when his term started and you know most people on the ground believe that um that his term should have ended this year but uh, he did not believe that. He believed that his term started a year later. And so it actually would end next year. Um, and I, the U.S. backed him up on that. So, you know, right now he's kind of been ruling by decree. It's been a very unstable situation overall. And so this was like, like you know, a shock into an already very unstable situation in which there's been fighting between like a bunch of different gangs. Um, I, some idiots are trying to say that you know they've tried to form a revolutionary people's army, but those people are aggressively dumb. Um, there is, I mean, there actually has been a lot of good information coming out, and we'll link to some of it. But you know, ten th- tens of thousands of people had been displaced out of Port-au-Prince, and there are elections scheduled. Uh, this for September, um, but there it's very you know whether or not they were going to happen is is was also like a subject of debate and you know I think it's worth saying that like the U.S.'s position was firmly like these elections are going to happen and even now they are still pretty firm that these elections are going to happen um, but. You know, I think I think it should be said that there are, you know, moments in a country's uh, history or situation where, like, you know, postponing elections is not always the worst idea. Um, just to get out of sort of the arbitrarily declared democracy norms, you know, come up with like in uh, political science departments in American universities or whatever, um, you know. The situations on the ground may reflect something differently. But, you know, one of the... I mean, one of the reasons for his unpopularity was 
he is he, he wanted to push a bunch of referendums. I mean, he is basically kind of like a neoliberal developmentist, which basically like all Global South presidents are now, you know, trying to attract foreign investment. But he wanted to push a bunch of constitutional reform. I think it's actually a new constitution and a referendum. And in this constitution, it would allow people not born in Haiti to become president, you know, which is not a thing you're allowed to do here. <laughs> uh, so, I mean, you know, Haiti is a place whose sovereignty has been uh, permanently compromised, you know, basically since its independence. I mean, there has been almost sort of a global conspiracy, almost, you could call it, to prevent it from, you know, sort of prospering and being stable. And and definitely, like, let's not forget France's role in this, like, after, you know, Haiti became yeah. uh, an independent republic after a slave rebellion and kicked out France. Um, France, since then, uh, has been forcing Haiti to pay reparations for France's lost property. And so, yeah, like, right there, Haiti was, like, muzzled economically from you know developing on its own terms along with um you know the long history of u.s interventions uh throughout latin america um so yeah like when we're talking about haiti like you know that's i'm pretty sure you know this audience knows that but just you know for for the public record like that that history bears repeating and like that is the you know the that's just been the story of, of Haiti since it, yeah. since, you know, yeah, basically a concerted conspiracy to undermine um, the development of a uh, country that dared to be independent and liberate itself from slavery, including through violent means and violent rebellion. So, yeah, European Europeans, they don't like that shit. Yeah, but yeah, though now it's sort of, you know... Um, since I think 19, 1915, I think is actually when the last assassination happened in Haiti. So this is, assassinations are not a common occurrence. They're more yeah. common in the U.S. actually, um, <laughs> than they are in Haiti. Uh, but after that, you know, the, it was basically occupied by the Marines until, you know, Papa Doc Duvalier, sort of the infamously, uh, you know, indescribably brutal uh, dictator, you know, backed by the U.S., uh, and then his son, Baby Doc, and, you know, they were eventually ousted, um, you know, and then, like, sort of the one good president, uh, Eric, John Bertrand Aristide, you know, became president in 1990, basically promising to do just mild social democracy. But he was cooed, though then they put him back, Basically, you know, they gave him like a sit down and said, you know, this is what you're going to do. And so, you know, he tried to do that, but then he pushed back and they cooed him again in 2004. And then from 2004 to 2017, uh, Haiti was occupied by UN peacekeeping forces. And this was like a very uh, terrible occupation for the people of Haiti. Um, you know, widespread allegations of sexual violence and, you know, uh, killings and all sorts of stuff so it was you know a great victory um when when those troops left in 2017 
And, you know, that, I mean, that was kind of the first question on a lot of people's minds after this is like, is there going to be another intervention? And, you know, I watched the State Department briefing and, I mean, there were already calls in like the Washington Post and everything and, you know, kind of the the foreign policy blob, like the all the consulting firms, dipshit, you know, who just sit around propounding and talking and saying, you know, uh, just like just indecipherable nonsense about democracy. They were all they all seemed to believe that Haiti was like incapable fundamentally of, you know, resolving the situation internally and that was going to need some kind of quote unquote external help or whatever. I mean, I think it's worth saying I was watching an Al Jazeera segment and yeah, they had one of these people who she was like the CEO at the Truman Center for National Security, you know, one of those things where you're just like, oh God, your blood runs cold at the, just at the name of it. Um, You know, and she was, I find, I just found it funny because it was like, Everyone got mad when Trump called Haiti a shithole country. But, like, these kinds of people who are, you know, liberals, like, they have the same attitude towards Haiti. It's like, well, why, you know, no understanding of who's responsible for these problems. Just a lot of, like, well, you know, we gave you a bunch of money and it didn't go anywhere. Because, you know, this is the other thing that I guess kind of gets to, you know, people are speculating, like, why did this happen and who was behind it? And, you know, suffice it to say that, yeah, uh, while the people doing the assassination claim they're DEA agents, that's not very, uh, people don't really believe that, but it is the yeah. kind of, th- yeah. Yeah, they, yeah. some people are saying that, like, it was probably, like, they're they're lying, and they probably were. And, and just to clarify, like, the, the, the people who were arrested, it, two U.S. citizens were among those arrested. Yeah, and, and like, the, 16 Colombians. Yeah, so, and, and the U.S. citizens were Haitian-Americans. And the others were Colombian, and there was, I think, a video and like uh, people with American accents shouting that it was a DEA operation. But I mean, the U.S. is denying involvement, um, and is you know has kind of been in mourning um, after uh, Moise's assassination. So like, you know, the there's a lot of um, spe- but I just wanted to clarify, yeah, yeah. Like, so there's two two U.S. citizens. They were Haitian American. Like I believe, uh, like sixteen, seventeen, or, or um, the rest were Colombians, and yeah, there was, there was a rec- uh, accounts of people, I guess, speaking some speaking in broken Spanish and American accents. So I assume the guys with the people with American accents were the Haitian Americans. That's what I'm assuming. So yeah, I mean, and whoever's behind it, uh, this is definitely a professional job, and. You know, people very high up were tipped off because you can't just get past in any state, like you in any country, you can't just get past the security right. of you know the head of the head of state and kill that person in his own house without you know some people knowing what's up and you know you you know some back channel plausibly deniable part person from the U.S. you know probably was okay with it because like the situation was getting pretty bad and. You know, I you have to remember with some this kind of stuff, like they would might see it as like that's not their guy since this is a new State Department. You know, that's so they don't necessarily have any attachment to him. But also, the big thing is that not only was Moise on the outs, like with you know the masses, but also like with the local oligarchs because mm-hmm. 
there you know there's they call it a corruption scandal but i don't know i i hate like talking about corruption in third world countries because it's like everyone does the same shit the only difference between like corrupt countries and non-corrupt countries is in non-corrupt countries quote-unquote there's just enough money to go around legally right it's yeah the the shit that's done in like global south countries that's called corruption here is just called campaign finance like the stuff that's done overseas is legal in the in the united states so right but specifically the the issue was that um there had been the petro they call it the petro caribe scandal and it was like um you know part of venezuela's like uh you know diplomatic missions is they they sell they sell oil cheaply to caribbean countries you know as a means of economic assistance and so haiti was one of those countries that received oil from venezuela you know very discounted which then they could, you know, mark up and sell and make profit on. But, you know, of course, in these kind of things, like, there's whole, you know, sets of patronage networks and everything where, you know, the money's going out, you know, to keep every keep all the wheels greased and such. But when the U.S. sanctions hit Venezuela in, I think, 2018, um, you know, that money from Venezuela to Haiti dried up. And so, uh, Moise, basically, like, all the people he was paying out, he, all the oligarchs, you know, he wanted, he was like, uh, I'm going to need some of that money back. Huh. And they were like, uh, no. And so, you know, every, you know, a lot of people had it out for him, I guess. But at the same time, like, nobody really wants it to go down this way. I mean, it, you know, reinforces all the worst stereotypes and all the news segments you see of Haiti. It's just like, yeah, very poor children and then a bunch of like you know kids running around with guns um you know i mean also uh moise supported uh juan guaido um yeah 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 i mean like i said he was you know neoliberal like u.s client like he was not you know resisting any like status quo at all yeah so that's what you know so that's why it's like why the u.s off their own guy but People have related it to General Diem. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> South. I mean, for yeah, to get some context. Yeah, General Diem. He was he was the leader of South Vietnam, and he was he was assassinated. And, and yeah, yeah. He he was like the U.S. puppet, but eventually mm-hmm. he was just being so incompetent, and like the country was going to hell. Yeah. Uh, you know, the last I guess like confusing thing is that there was actually a new um, prime minister that was chosen but was not sworn in he was supposed to be sworn in in like a week or something so the timing of all this is very interesting and so there was a confusion as to you know who's actually in charge but at least for the time being it does seem that uh claude joseph is the acting prime minister and i mean what you know over everything else like i think what is to be hoped for is that I mean, not it's not going to be pretty, but you know that order is restored in, and like things are able, you know, disputes are be able to be worked out without much violence, and certainly without any sort of uh, external intervention, because you know that like Haiti really is trying to you know kind of get back on its feet and you know actually build and become a prosperous country, but 
it you know it just can't catch a break as they say and funny how that just keeps happening yeah and speaking of actually this will be a good transition speaking of uh can't catch a break somebody who's trying to break the sins of her ancestors see transition there you go break I don't know about that one, but I'll know, try my best. I'll let it slide. Um, but okay, so this is uh, yeah, because it's it's thirty six minutes in, so yeah, I think it'll be a good time to trend to to talk about this article. Um, because again, like um, Haiti itself liberated itself from slavery. Um, the United States was a little bit different. Speaking of which, um, if you guys want to, if if y'all don't know like the history of the Louisiana Purchase. The reason why France sold its Louisiana territory to the U.S. was because uh, its loss in Haiti caught like the the amount of money France spent in fighting Haiti during the Haitian Revolution um, to recuperate that loss. France sold its Louisiana territory to the United States, so that yeah. so there so there's a connection right there historically. So, so so what you're saying is that Haiti was an agent in settler colonialism. Well, no, it's just more <laughs> like uh if 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 we the Africans here in the US um were definitely emboldened by the Haitian Revolution. Um yeah. and actually uh a lot of uh white people in the south who were pro-slavery used the Haitian Revolution um, as an argument against abolition because of um, uh, Dessayin killing a bunch of white people in... Oh, the white people. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, so... Um, but yeah, like, actually, I mean, yeah, speaking of Haiti, I actually do think, like, that kind of history is just worth mentioning because it, I think oftentimes when we look at slavery in the Americas, people think, like, things happened separate yeah. from, from one another but um in the case of uh yeah slavery in the u.s um there's this woman named stacy marshall who inherited a farm in northwestern georgia and um there's a new york times article that came out ha july 4th and it's very fitting that it was published. <laughs> so the title is how her family owned slaves how can she make amends so she learned that her ancestors had enslaved people um and she's trying to uh according to the article she's trying to bring that that history to light and help heal her community there's a lot of like healing shit in this article but i wanted to share it because um like you peter like you know we're talking about what to talk about during this episode and then last night I saw this, it popped up on my Facebook feed and I'm like, holy shit. And I read it and it just, uh, aggravated me the way it was, this was written. And I was like, you know, I might as well vent what I think about this on this, on this podcast, because I actually think like it, it, it actually ties into what we've been talking about when it comes to reparations. And given that reparations has been like, you know, more on the radar, I think, like, uh, the way it's being talked about reparations in the public discourse, there's a lot of I have issues with. And I'm just going to speak from the perspective of, like, the other side, where, like, both sides of my 
family were enslaved. So, um, yeah, if we're going to talk about reparations, like, I want shit to be done right. So, um, so yeah, like, it talks about, okay, so Miss Marshall, she's 41. Um, so, okay, so she, so it starts out with this story where she met this guy named Matthew Rayford. So he's a Gola Geechee chef. Um, I'll, I'll read, like, the this little uh how they met and that's when it gets into the re- revelation so um she stood out like she, she was at like this uh marketing seminar um uh called collards aren't the new kale um and it says she stood out not just and not just because she was one of only two white people in the room miss marshall 41 still had the long blonde hair and good looks that won her the Miss Chattanooga County title um, in 1998. The win came with scholarship money that got her a t- got her to a tiny Baptist college and a life away from the small Appalachian Valley where her family had farmed for more than 200 years. Uh, leading, leading the seminar was Matthew Rayford, 53, a tall, magnetic Gullagichi chef and organic farmer who works at coastal Georgia land his forebears secured a decade after they were emancipated from slavery. Um, he asked if there were questions. Miss Marshall raised her hand, ignored the knot in her stomach, and told her story. She was in line to inherit 300 acres, which would make her the first woman in her family to own a farm. She had big plans for the fading, com- fading commercial cattle operation and its overgrown fields. She would call it Mountain Mama Farms and sell enough grass-feed beef Grass-fed beef and homemade products like goat's milk soup, soap, goat's milk soap, to help support her husband and their three daughters. But she had discovered a terrible thing. My family owned seven people, Miss Marshall said. She wanted to know how to make it right. Miss Rayford was Mr. Sorry, Miss Mr. Rayford was as surprised as anyone in the room. These older guys have probably never heard that from a white lady in their entire lives. He recalled. Um. For almost three years now, with the fervor of the newly converted, Miss Marshall has been on a quest from that, from the outs, that from the outside may seem quixotic and naive. She is diving into her family's past and trying to chip away at racism in the Deep South, where every white family with roots here benefited from slavery, and almost every black family had enslaved ancestors. I don't have a lot of property. I don't have a lot of money, but I have property, she said during a walk on her farm last winter. How how am I going to use that for the greater good, and not in like a paying penance sort of way, but in a it's just the right thing to do kind of way? It's not easy finding anyone in this farming community of 26,000 she can talk to about white privilege, critical race theory, or renewed calls for federal reparations. She can't even get her cousins to stop flying the Confederate flag. It's about heritage, Nate, not hate, they they tell her. So this is like so I'm gonna read more of it, but I wanna stop here. Like, especially that phrase. Her cousins are flying the Confederate flag and it's about their heritage. I, like, yeah, I just wanna say to like anyone who's thinks the Confederacy is something to be proud of, like, you are insane. Right. Like like ir- irrespective of, you know, yes, they were just, you know, defending slavery, like it existed for four years. It was a terrible idea. It was just like an absolutely preposterous scheme. 
Um, and it was never going to work. And I don't understand. It was basically one of the biggest cell phones in all of history. And I don't understand why that is at all something to be proud of. You guys fucked up. You lost. And I understand the inherent dilemma of being a white American and having to admit that you lost, like, literally anything. And I, that is, like, the source of shame and whatever and all the weird fucking, uh, you know, hang-ups that white Southerners have that, like, isn't anyone else's problem. Um, but, yeah, it's, I just don't even get it, like... You, you know, you, you're a rebel, like, okay, for what? Like, right, yeah. For... Okay, whatever, guys. Just, like, it is literally 150 years ago, and you all should get over it. Yeah, and also, this another detail they mention is that, um, it says in the article, not long ago, she, this is Mar- uh, Marshall, ended up in a CrossFit class with Marjorie Taylor Greene. Ah! The far-right Republican this region elected to Congress in 2020. And also, Donald Trump um, had one of his uh, major rallies in, in that part of Georgia. as part of, like, northwestern Georgia. Um, the article also mentions farming, family, and unspoken discrimination are braided together so tightly here that she can't untwist them. She is aware that she sometimes stumbles across a line between doing anti-racism work and playing the white, white savior, but she finds the history unavoidable. I can't just go feed my cows and not be reminded of it, she said. Hers is the national soul-searching writ small. Should the descendants of people who kept others enslaved be held responsible for that wrong? What can they do to make things right? And what will it cost? After the seminar, the farmers offer some ideas. She could set up an internship for young black farmers, letting them work her land and keep the profit. Maybe Ah. Maybe her black neighbors wanted preservation work done for their church cemetery. Or maybe, and this is where the discussion gets complicated, she should give some land or money from the sale of it to descendants of the black people who had helped her family build wealth, either as enslaved people in the 1800s or later as sharecroppers who lived in two small shacks on her land. I think that, like, the latter, just giving the land back, that's what should be done and no no questions asked. Because, like, what what I find interesting, interesting but aggravating is, like, what's interesting is just seeing her walk through what this means and actually like come to terms with with, like her own and her family's and her ancestors and her lineages role in slavery and the fact that she could inherit a farm and that farm is tied to slavery and that history is unavoidable she can't ignore it you know because you can't you can't ignore it and the whole, like, you know, getting back to the Confederacy, like, preserving heritage. Well, that's the heritage they want to preserve. They want to preserve that fucking slavery heritage. And they think it's okay. But this is what's, 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 what's also interesting. She says, um, it says, Miss, Miss Marshall hasn't told most of, her ex- most of her extended family what she is doing. I will get some help, she said. There are people in this community that are totally going to turn what I start, that are totally going to turn when I start telling these things. At the same time, she is protective of her corner of the South. I don't want my family to be painted as a bunch of white racist rednecks, she said. God, I am proud of every square inch of this place, except for this. But here's the thing. You can't separate those two. Yeah, you and Scarlett O'Hara. Right. Like, you can't separate those two. Like, I don't want to paint... Well, I don't want my family to be painted as a bunch of white racist rednecks. Well, the way she painted her family, she already did that work. Like, she already did the work of, like your cousins weigh the confederate fag and are want to preserve heritage 
But then she says, I don't want my family to be painted as a bunch of white racist rednecks. Well, you just painted them as a bunch of white racist rednecks without us having to do it fucking for you. So, like, the thing, and this is where, it, this is some real, I think, uh, cognitive dissonance. And, and this whole, like, um, uh, there's something else like that, that um, some of the black people said. Because she um, went to this, uh, I think it was this, um, this uh, Baptist uh, church. Yeah, this um, this Baptist church uh, ran by Melvin mostly. Yeah, Har- Harmony Baptist Church, um, and basically, t- t- I'm trying to f- I'm trying to find because um, it includes other details just about about like her family and even her finding the records of of her family and the you know it includes like the documents of like the the you know how many slaves her family owned, um, uh. Yeah. Oh, this is another detail that it meant it, that she mentions, and again, it, it kind of goes through like uh, her trying to disentangle, like she's re- really wrestling with these contradictions. And again, she's like saying she doesn't want her family to be painted as white racist rednecks. But again, like she's she's already doing that work. So it also says here, growing up, Miss Marshall heard that her family had once enslaved people, so she knew this growing up. She knew this growing up. Let's, growing up, Miss Marshall heard that her family had once enslaved people. So she knew this early on. Before before adulthood, she knew it. And then it goes, but the history hit her in a visceral way 12 years ago, just after her first daughter was born. The baby was struggling to nurse. Miss Marshall was nearly in tears. Her grandfather, Fred Scoggins, tried to offer her offer some comfort. You know, she recalled his saying, you get that from the Scoggins women. Your great-great-great-grandmother couldn't produce milk either. So they had to buy a slave. They, uh, call- uh, they called her Mammy Hester. Oh, uh, of course they're going to call her Mammy. The, 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 I mean, the richness of that is right. like... Right. The, the metaphors, I swear uh, to God. Like, right. And, and of course they called her Mammy. They called her Mammy Hester, he said. And he spun the same false narrative that some white Southerners use to soften the harsh reality. The family had treated Hester so well that after the Civil War, she remained with them. Here's the I'm, I'm going to stop right here. They treated her so well. They are definitely rewriting this fucking history. Let's 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 correct the narrative. What happened okay. after the abolition of slavery was that we weren't really freed; we were let loose. And so some slaves were like, "Well, what do we do? You know, like we weren't given land." Or jobs, or like, like you know, like there is a that was the whole point of Reconstruction, and we know how the South dealt with Reconstruction. They did not like Reconstruction, so you know, so yeah, like these slaves who had worked, who were enslaved their whole lives, are like, oh, you're free now. Then the slaves are like, okay, well, what do we do? And so I think that's really what happened. Instead of like, oh, the family, we treated her so well that they yeah. wanted well, Maybe it was like she had nowhere else to go because that was the reality of so many for uh, black people who were slaves and then were freed. Is that like, what do you do? And that was the whole point of tw- uh, 40 acres and a mule and reconstruction. But we know how the South fucking dealt with reconstruction. They're like, no, fuck that. We're going to have another century of ra- racial apartheid and ongoing racist terrorism. And so, like, this is, this is, and this, this is, um, and it says, Miss Marshall began thinking a lot about Hester, whose milk had fed her ancestors. Good fucking Lord. Then about five years ago, this is, she learned that the truth was even worse than she knew. 
Her mother-in-law, an amateur genealogist who works her Ancestry.com account with cheery enthusiasm, delivered the news. Did you know your family owned slaves? She asked, producing documents she had discovered. I felt like I needed a shot of whiskey, Miss Marshall said. But here's the thing. She knew that this was in her history beforehand, but it never it didn't click to her until she had a kid. And a family's like, well, you know, you get that from, like, your ancestor who owned a slave. And, like, we had to buy a slave to produce milk. Like, I... literally, tra- they literally treating the woman like cattle, basically. They're literally treating an enslaved black woman like a cow to produce milk. And, like, oh, well, we treated the cow so well as you wanted. Like, this is, this is, this is the exact fucking mindset of these fucking people in the South. It's so deeply ingrained in their mind that black people are cattle to them. It's it's just like anyway, go on, Peter. Like I said, I just uh, like this off my chest. Yeah, well, I mean, first of all, yes, the uh, the grateful slave that remained on the plantation is a well worn trope in the revisionist history mm-hmm. that you know emerged. That was basically the national consensus until probably like twenty years ago right. um, about yeah. like you know this stuff. And yes, all the plantations that were burned down, not too many New York Times articles about that. Also, of course, New York Times is going to run sob stories about someone who only owned seven slaves, not really touch, you know, the generational dynastic wealth, uh, you know, that like, uh, um, you know, formed a lot of America's proud liberal institutions, funded a lot of them. Mm -hmm. Uh, No, let's, you know, focus on. Someone who is, you know, I mean, obviously still profiting from a heinous system, you know, but relatively low on the totem pole. I just, I had never, it never occurred to me really that wet nurses were because like these white women literally couldn't lactate, which I think just shows you how like in people's bones, they knew how fucked up all this shit was. Like they literally couldn't, you know, be like, uh, God, that's so... I always thought it was just like, oh, it's unladylike or whatever. Not just they actually couldn't. But and also, um, I don't know. My dad, you know, gets his the, his side of the family. Like we can trace it back to rural Georgia, you know. So maybe it's the same plantation. In which case, I'll take the land. Um, right. Right. Yeah. If you're wondering what to do with it, I, right. I wouldn't mind three hundred acres. Right. In the case of my family, it would be Virginia and Texas. So I'm looking at that. I'm looking at that. But so, so, so the story, I don't want to read the whole thing, but there is another <clears throat> detail it mentions. So she went to, she, so she, Miss Marshall, like she went to um, this, um, oh, she went to, yeah, this Baptist church I was talking about, Harmony Baptist Church. And I think she was, she was trying to make amends in like a religious way. I think this is part of like the healing process. And so she told, um, so it's the Baptist church and the founder, um, you know, it's a black man and his wife. And, uh, and so she, um, uh, yeah, because she knew them. So she, she knew who they were. And so she wanted, so I, I guess uh, she felt comfortable in confiding with him. Um, and so I guess like, you know, they were joined in prayer. Uh, he said he stood. So it says he stood and took her hand. Mrs. Mosley joined them in a prayer circle. Father in heaven, he prayed. We ask you just to continue to give her the courage and the desire to break, break again, uh, the chain of racism, Lord. On another visit just before Christmas, Miss Marshall sat with the couple at their dining room table eating vanilla scented tea cakes. 
She had brought a copy of the slave records and was seeking their advice on whether she should compensate Hester's descendants if she ever found them. People aren't looking for a handout, Mrs. Boldly told her. We just want justice in all the things that are going on. It's hard to explain to a white person, but if you're a black person, you understand. So I, I like, I, I think like... I I, I'm looking for a handout. I don't, sorry, this isn't the <laughs> 80s anymore. Yes, we're looking for handouts. I mean, yeah, and, and I I think, you know, the word justice is important, but I think people have different ideas of what justice looks like. And the whole, you know, I, when it comes to religion, like when I saw this part, um, I, I you know, I know Christianity, religion, you know, it's sacred to a lot of black people and I don't, but what, what annoyed me is that like, this felt like a kind of, um, like, oh, we need to heal this white person from her white guilt kind of thing. I don't think that that was, I'm not saying that that was the black preacher's like intention, but the way like this was all set up and the fact that she, you know, went to them and like asking their advice and it almost kind of put them in this role that, they have to heal her from her white sins. But I do like the the way that Miss Mosley put it is that we just want justice in all the things that are going on. And and I don't know Mrs. Mosley, but the way I read it is like I can kinda t- I, I kinda think like maybe she's holding back what she really wants to say because I mean given that this is the South and, you know, like they're a lot closer to the people that enslaved their ancestors directly. And so I'm sure, like, you know, there's this kind of, you know, subtle, there's definitely, like, an underlying tension, and I have a feeling that maybe in the back of Mrs. Mosley's mind, like, there's something else that she wants to say that maybe she's not saying it. Or maybe it's just me reading too much into it. But I, I is, but this whole, uh, what annoyed me about this whole article and the way, like, it was laid out, it, it a lot of the healing rhetoric that I was talking about, was to me seemed like it was centering on healing this woman from her own white guilt and healing america which fucking annoys me because it's like the entire yeah i yeah whenever people talk about america healing i'm like why uh, well i just don't even understand like heal what (laughs) like the entire country is an open wound like there's nothing to heal right and and what 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 annoyed was bit was bit annoying me about that rhetoric. America is a that's the institution of government is the one directly responsible for slavery and racial apartheid. Why are we healing the oppressor? Like how does that fu- like how does it fucking work? Like um. you know like if in any other case of like a gross like human rights violation or tragedy like you know genocide or enslavement. And people talking about healing, like it's not really about trying to heal the the oppressor. The, the the SS is has been doing a lot of soul searching, and now they want to be held accountable. So right, they they would just they want to know how they can heal from you know, yeah, yeah. It's just it's I mean it's just a very it's a bastardization of what reparations right. actually is and what it should be, and also like what black people deserve. Like, and, you know, and also, like, what, what's been annoying me in, in, in is, like, look, I'm just going to say this when it comes to the issue of reparations. Like, if your ancestors 
were not enslaved by the United States or any other European colonial power. And I'm going to, you know, because we talked about Haiti, so I'm going to throw in France. I'm going to throw in Spain. I'm going to throw in Portugal. Like, if your ancestors, if, if, you, if you don't have, like, enslaved ancestors, if enslaved African ancestors uh, in your lineage, like, I don't really care about your opinion on reparations because it's like, who the fuck asked you? Because I think, like, this whole, the, the way, like, this discussion's been going on when it comes to reparations and when you say healing America, well, this issue is not the business of every American, in my opinion. Like, you know, you can live in America and, like, you can understand its history. But when it comes to reparations, this has nothing to do with you. In the same way that, like, I remember someone tweeted this out. This is right, the, the last, like, Israeli bombing of Gaza. Like, someone mentioned, like, you know, if you're not Palestinian, like, it really is none of your business commenting on, like, a two-state or one-state solution because it's not your land. And that's exactly right. And as a non-Palestinian, like, I've always felt uncomfortable trying to, like, comment hard, heavily on, like, one state or two state, even though, like, you know, individually, I, you know, sympathize more with the one state. But, you know, like, at the same time, that's not my land. So my, I can have my opinion, but it doesn't matter. Like, what matters more in that situation is, like, okay, what do the Palestinians want? And it seems like so far, like, what Palestinians want is more so in, like, the land back self-determination route. And so, if somebody's not Palestinian and who believes in principle solidarity, okay, I'm, I'm going to do whatever I can to support that and, like, let them take control. So, the same principle and rules applies to us in this case. Like, and this is what, what annoys me about, like, the whole healing America stuff. Like, okay, America is, America is a multi-ethnic country with, like, clear white domination so okay there's always different people reparations is not about people of color whatever that means anymore so if your ancestors weren't enslaved by the united states here the you know and then also like if 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 you're somebody who's like another person of african descent like um some people are probably going to exclude you from the conversation. My thing is, like, okay, when it comes to us in the U.S. government, they're like, okay, let us sell that. But at the same time, like, we have a similar struggle because, like, yeah, slavery was all over the Americas. But, so we, you know, I believe in, as a Pan-Africanist, I believe in solidarity among Africans globally. But, you know, in the specific case of reparations, if your ancestors were not enslaved, um, in the case of the African continent, Still reparations, but that's a little bit different, with, especially with European colonization. But putting all this specificity aside, if if your ancestors were not enslaved Africans, like I, I really don't care about your opinion on this issue. And what I what annoys me is that like when people talk about healing America, then it's like, oh, it's not about black people anymore. It's about everybody. Like slavery is about everybody, so everybody has to be healed. We have to heal white people. It's like no, that's not the fucking issue. Like, the issue is repairing the damage that was done to black people, period. So, in my, what I would say, as a response to this article, what she should do is honestly a lot more fucking simple. That land is not hers, period. It's not hers. It's not her family. Her land got it through slavery, through something that never should have happened. 
So therefore, the land should not belong to her. She should give the land back to the the people her family enslaved. And that's it. None of this whole, like, I need to heal and blah, blah. I'm like, look, whatever she needs to do, I, well, I, I, I don't care. But it's like, it's not about her. That land, yeah. that farm Terry, give it back to the people her family enslaved. And also, I would also add, like, when it comes to land back and reparations and black and indigenous solidarity, like, you know, Native Americans should have some say in that land too. But, you know, you know, black Native Americans, we, we can sell that. But, you know, when it comes to that specific property, yeah, give it back to the people, yeah. her family enslaved, and shut the fuck up. That's yeah. really it. It's... A- admittedly, I've been thinking about this, and there should be some sort of, like, land bank clearinghouse for all the guilty white people who finally figured out what it is they should do. But, you know, just, like, give the land to them and they'll track down whoever it is and, you know, figure it out. I mean, I think definitely, like, you know, a lot with a lot of this stuff, though, I'm not trying to sort of speak for the actual indigenous activists, but I, you know, what I'm realizing is, like, I mean, a lot of this stuff could be done outside the government, necessarily, where it's like, yes, you know, there's a lot of guilty white people who maybe you should lean on them more heavily to be like, okay, well, you don't, one, you, like, don't need this land, and two, you don't even know what you're going to do with it, so why do you have it? Um, and, uh, and yeah, I mean, I love how one of the things was like, what should I do to assuage my guilt over having, uh, my family owned slaves? I know. Why don't I hire some black people to work the land for me? Like, this is is exactly like (laughs) how I don't, I just, I don't even understand how white people can be this dense sometimes. Other it's... than, other than they have, they have, I mean, really all the cognitive dissonance, all the obtuseness is just, they know how they got this shit, but they don't, but they want to keep it. I mean, you know, I don't, I don't think white people are especially evil in that, in the sense that like many people of any background, like if they receive some ill-gotten gains and nobody's forcing them to hand it over, they might be like, well, I'm just going to keep it. Um, but, you know, collectively this being sort of you know, a fundamental reality of white people, it, you know, takes on a, you know, salience as a condition of whiteness and white subjectivity, but it is just like, yes, this is the whole thing. It's like, the, you know, that is the paranoia of America, you know, is basically all these people knew how they got all this shit. I mean, yeah, it wasn't a secret, but she was just trying to avoid it. You know, they knew how they got all this shit and they, you know, just kept quiet about it. And, you know, like that, you know, Jewish settler in Sheikh Jarrah said, if I didn't steal it, someone else was going to. And that's how, <laughs> right. and that's how, that's how they feel about it. Uh, so, I mean, as far as this stuff, you know, it's just like, come correct or shut the fuck up. Like, you guys right. know what you need to do. Right. Fucking start doing it or just shut up about it. But thank you. I don't want to, I don't like, you know, the, if you want to sell reparations to white people. I guess I would say, like, you should support it so you don't have to hear about bull- dumb bullshit like this, you know? Like, this is, like, if if people just get their heads out of their asses for, you know, just a very short time to, you know, actually do some shit, then, like, we wouldn't have to have all these dumbass discussions. Yeah. But, you know, 
this is this is the collective paralysis and the fact that like this is you know something to be done with a church or this is a personal thing and not like a collective political problem really says everything about america like problems that you know have their basis in political economy somehow can only be solved through individual charity funny how that works you know and on that note right and and i'll i'll yeah i'll, I'll wrap up and like just just get some concluding thoughts um yeah like that was another issue i had is that like you know it 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 reduced reparations like this like individual exercise when it's like okay yeah even if she gives the land back or like does something correct and assuages her guilt like that's not going to be enough because this is like something that is done on a, a massive collective level not just at the federal level but i would say the global level like reparations is a global thing like it wasn't just the united states yeah you, ha- you have to include other countries um so spain and portugal have to be in on this and keep in mind the territory of the united states wasn't just controlled by the united states or britain like there are parts of the u.s that were controlled by spain france so all of these colonial powers are implicated in this so it can't just be the u.s government it has to be britain it has to be france it has to be spain it has to be portugal reparations has to be done on that massive international scale um I mean, yes, the U.S. government definitely, like, as as a major imperial power, like, bears a major responsibility because America's imperial status owes happened because of, of slavery. So, yeah, yeah. yes, the U.S. government is definitely implicated in that, but it's not just the U.S. government. It's definitely Britain. You know, Britain's colonial, Britain's own empire was fueled by slavery. So is France's. So is, you know, Spain's and Portugal. So... All these, all these European powers have are implicated in this, and so like, you know, we can have like these little individual discussions, these fucking healing circles and all that bullshit. But it's not gonna, it's not gonna get to real justice. Real justice has to happen at the international scale. And like, yeah, like there was some, you know, I said in a previous episode, like, uh, reparations and what it actually looks like on a specific level. And I'll, I'll just say this again, and, you know, we're, we're over an hour, and so we'll, we'll wrap up. But, um, you know, when it comes to reparations law, uh, um, like, actually, there's this, uh, this organization called the, uh, I think it's, uh, hold on, it's like IST, ICTJ, um, it's the uh, International Center for Trend transitional justice and i like the way that they defined reparations um it says right here uh um uh yeah reparations serve to acknowledge the legal obligation of a state or individual or individuals or group to repair the consequences of violations either because it directly committed them or it failed to prevent them and so it said, it is important to remind her that financial compensation or the payment money is only one of many different types of material reparations that can be provided to victims. Other types include restoring civil and political rights, erasing unfair criminal con- convictions, physical rehabilitation, and granting access to land, health care, or education. Let me repeat that again. Granting access to land. Well... This definitely applies to Miss Marshall's case. Maybe she should just, yeah, again, return the fucking land into discussion. But then, yeah, there are other principles. Uh, there are five forms of reparation. So there's restitution, compensation, rehabilitation, 
satisfaction and guarantees of non-repetition. So yeah, it has to be satisfaction on our terms, rehabilitation. Restitution, restore the victim to the original situation before the gross violations of international human rights law and serious violations of international humanitarian law, blah, blah. So that, that includes restoration of liberty, human rights, identity, family life, and citizenship, return to one's place of residence. So that right there would include, I would say, like, you know, uh, reclaiming our a lot of our, indig our, our um, indigenous uh, uh, cultures. Um, that would mean Africa would have to be involved. But, like, a lot of stuff when it comes to, like, you know, land and shit like that. Europeans have to be involved in that. Um, compensation, definitely Europeans. And also, yeah, guarantees of non-repetition. So that means, like, massive structural reforms, revolutionary reforms. To yeah, make, I mean, we'll, make, we'll, we'll guarantee it. They're right. Not, that they're not doing this shit again. Right, yeah. So, like, you know, I just want to make it clear, like, we're talking about reparations. That's what it truly entails. And there are some basic principles that can be applied here. So, yeah, in her case, she should give the land back and shut the fuck up. And what I was saying earlier, oh, yeah, this before I forget, the reason why I said that, like, uh, you know, when it comes to this discussion, like, I, if you're, again, if, if your ancestors were not enslaved, like, you know, were, like, in terms of, like, enslaved African ancestors, if that's not, like, your lineage, then I don't really care about your opinion. And the reason why I say it is because... You know, I've been hearing, like, other, like, the the push for reparations and people latching onto it. I feel like there's a lot of people who are not black who are latching onto reparations. And I'm going to be honest, like, I question some people's motives. Like, I just don't, like, there's some people, like, who are saying, it, who are not black, who are saying they support reparations who I just don't trust. And I have a right to say that. Because, you know, I don't, like, why are they supporting it? Like, what's, like, what's in it for you? Like, what do you try, what do you, what is, repara what does reparations look like? And I think, like, you know, a lot of people, when they think of reparations, like, I, I think a lot of it, what I've been noticing is that a lot of people who are not black, who kind of jump onto this reparations thing, I don't, I think a lot of them, to be completely honest, are not really concerned about black people i think some of it is like this woman like they, they probably have like their own guilt or their own like whatever they got to work through i'm not saying that's everybody but i do think it's a lot of people like i think it's more people than people care to admit and i just think that that just needs to be said especially if we're talking about reparations so i just want to say as somebody who know both sides of my family who are enslaved africans like you know, I just want to say when it comes to reparations, if if you don't, you know, if you, if 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 that's not part of your lineage and like your opinion on reparations, I don't really care for it. Like you can have an opinion, but I'm not I don't really give a shit about it. What but if we're talking about principle solidarity, um yeah, to me like the only thing is like give the land back and that's it. And if you're not black, then just shut the fuck up and support that. <laughs> That's the only thing that like could be remotely useful. But again, like these conversations don't center people who are not black. Because again, like when it the because the whole like healing America. Because I think that's what it is. I think when people look at stuff like reparations or even Juneteenth, it's not really about like liberating black people. It's 
it all goes back to them and their own ego. Yeah, well, yeah, their... well, they they have problems sleeping at night, and it's like, yeah, why do you think America's so crazy, guys? Right, right. Um... Yeah. So I just wanted to, I wanted to mention that, like, yeah, like if 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 you don't have enslaved Africans in your lineage, like I don't really care about your opinion on 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 this topic, and those of us whose families were impacted by, by that, we're gonna lead the discussion, and we're the ones who should lead it and tell the u.s government what the fuck we want and other white people what what not just what we want but what we're rightfully owed what we rightfully deserve and yeah money's on the table but also land because land is power and that's what we lost we lost power so we need land we need our land back we we the money and yeah that's it so if we're talking about reparations it should be on those fucking terms if it's not on those fucking terms, then it's not reparations. It's just a settlement check. And I don't want settlement checks. I want self-determination. That's what we deserve. That's what the fuck we deserve. And that's what it is. Anyway. Um, I need to get that off my chest. Because that that, <laughs> that article blocked the shit out of me. But I think just to have a response is important. But Yeah, I mean, that's what we were basically going to talk about anyway. You know? And yes. Yeah. Let us never curse the lack of content again. Because... <laughs> Yeah, uh, well, something will always show up. So, right. yeah, that's it for this podcast. Do you have any final thoughts, Peter? Uh, no, not really. I mean, yeah. you basically said said it all. All right then. Okay. Well, yeah, let's do the normal sign out. Um, well, actually, before the sign out, yeah, again, patreon.com slash real car hours. Before I forget, uh, if you like this episode. You can become a patron, $5 a month, patreon.com slash hours. You can also, you know, donate to us directly just one time, paypal.me slash hours. Um, and yeah, so yeah, if you want to be a patron, patreon.com slash hours. $5 a month gets you bonus episodes. Anything less than that, um, it just helps support the podcast, no bonus episodes. And then paypal.me slash hours. that's just a one-time direct, like, donation if you just have like a couple bucks or you know whatever you want to just donate and support like one time that's totally cool as well so yeah like i said if you like this episode definitely financial support is greatly appreciated and uh yeah sign out keep the faith and stay dangerous take care peace